The following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. Hey, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you grab them and open them up to Matthew chapter 19, okay? Matthew 19 is where we're going to be. You can open a a phone or a tablet if you'd like. I'd love to see that warm glow of God's word on your face. Uh, So grab that. Matthew 19 would work for that. But we also do have hardback black Bibles under every chair. We'd love for you to grab one of those and open them up to Matthew 19. Matthew 19 can be found on 824 in those Bibles, but uh, we have a lot of work to do this morning. So I'd love for you to have the text in hand. Um, As you're meeting me at Matthew 19, uh, here's the question. You ever say to yourself something like this? I wish I could go back to my younger self with what I know now and give that guy advice. You ever say something like that to yourself? Oh man, I just, I just wish I could go back like time travel back and tell myself something to avoid pain or to uh, do something different or to uh, avoid that relationship or maybe go with that person or, or to invest in that. Like, have you ever done that? You ever had something like that in your life? You can think of something like that you'd like to go back and change. I have an experience like this that I want to share with you this morning. Uh, if I could go back, I'd like to go back to 2006. 2006, I was 21 uh, and I lived... Uh, with three guys in an apartment. Okay, this is before I got married, obviously. Uh, So I was living with these three dudes. One of my roommates got a bonus from his job and he told us his plan with that extra money was to buy the brand new, never before released PlayStation 3. It just come out. It it was brand new in that moment. And and listen, as three single dudes living in an apartment, that was like the the pinnacle of of our life. Video games, brand new video games. We were pumped. But on the day that he was supposed to go buy that PlayStation 3 and bring it home, something happened that I did not see or expect. Okay, Uh, I I walk in to the front door of my apartment after I get off of work, walk into my apartment, and I immediately notice that there is a large cage over in the corner of the room with a blanket over it. It's about four feet tall and three feet square. So like a big, big cage. And I see my roommate in the kitchen. And so I'm just like, all right, dude. Let's get our PlayStation on. Let's go. I mean, we were ready. I'd cleared the, the night. I told Marcy, we ain't hanging out, okay? We ain't, this is dudes only tonight, okay? I was ready to go. My roommate's response, though, was, hey, Chris, I, I didn't actually get the PlayStation. I, I didn't buy the PlayStation. Actually, I spent the money on something way better, way better, Uh, which in my mind, I'm like, what is better than a PlayStation 3? Are you serious? But he said, I bought something way better. I bought us sugar gliders. (laughs) By your laughter, I'm assuming you know what sugar gliders are. I did not. Um, And if you don't know what they are, don't worry, I'll tell you what they are. A sugar glider is a small marsupial looks like a rodent, kind of like a squirrel, uh, but it flies. It's like a small flying squirrel. Here's a picture of a sugar glider. (laughs) That is what my friend spent his $600 on. His plan was to breed them. (laughs) I wish I were making this up. 
His plan was to breed them and sell them. And this is what he said. He said these words to me, we're going to be rich. (laughs) Now, I didn't realize that they would fly initially, right? So when they're kind of down, they don't have like wings like that. They just kind of look like little rodents or whatever. So uh, I'm frustrated, okay? But I'm like, okay, whatever. I uh, I sit down on the couch. I'm playing non-PlayStation 3 video games uh, in my apartment, and I'm not wearing a shirt, all right? This is a couple dudes hanging out. I just took my shirt off. I was sans blouse, okay? So uh, I'm, I'm playing video games when all of a sudden, one of the sugar gliders flies over, lands on my shoulder, digs his little claws into me, I scream. I go, ah! and I fling that little freak across the room. Just lost my mind. Uh, that was 2006. That was 2006. Now, in 2006, something else happened. Uh, there was a company called Apple. Ever heard of them? Yeah? Okay. In 2006, just so you know, one share of Apple stock cost $2.58, $2.58, okay? Uh, But something was just about to happen to this little company called Apple that was gonna change the landscape of the world because in January of 2007, they made an announcement of this new product they called the iPhone. And it, like the first one, okay? The very first iPhone. They didn't even have a number after it. It was just called iPhone, all right? Uh, And it changed everything, and it changed everything. Well, uh, I looked this week. Today, one share, that one share of Apple stock is worth $191.93. That is a 7,339% increase. So if my friend had... uh, he spent $600 to try to breed sugar gliders saying, we're going to be rich. Okay. Uh, If he would have taken that $600 and spent it on a PlayStation, he'd still have friends. Okay. (laughs) But if he had taken that $600 and invested it in Apple today, not including any sort of interest, he would have a total of $44,634.88. I wish I could go back. I wish I could go back and tell my 21-year-old self some things. One in particular about who to live with, all right? Um, but another thing about the stock market and another about flying marsupials. I, I just, I wish I could have given some advice to my 21-year-old self. I, I'm calling today's sermon riches. I'm calling today's sermon riches. What I'm talking about here is a common daydream. I wish I could go back. I wish I could just go back and and know what I know now and inform myself, guide myself with some stuff. But it begs the question, what are you investing in right now? What are you investing? I'm not talking stocks or animals. I'm, I'm talking... Are you investing your life, your resources, your being in the right things? And as I prepared today's sermon, I found myself wanting to give advice to the guy that we find in our text. The, the young man that we meet in our text, I, I, I wanted to scream at him, hey, invest in something different. 
Make a different choice. Don't buy the sugar gliders, right? Just do something different. But as we're going to see in the text, his story is unbelievably relevant for us today. So here we go. Let's get after this. Matthew chapter 19. We're going to pick it up in verse 16. So Matthew 19, starting in verse 16. And behold, a man came up to Jesus saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? So this is the setup. This isn't a parable. Okay, this is an event in Jesus' life. This is a real man who approaches Jesus and he asks him a question. What must I do to have eternal life? Listen, that's the right question. Good question. He wants to know about eternal life. That's the thing he should be worried about. That's the right thing. And oh, by the way, he came to the right guy. He's asking the right question to the right man. And that's where we set up. Look at verse 17. And Jesus said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. So Jesus doesn't give him a straight answer, which is classic Jesus, a classic Jesus move. Uh, Jesus knew the answer, by the way, to the question, what must I do to have eternal life? Jesus could have just said, believe in me, right? He could have answered, just believe in me, declare with your mouth and believe in your heart and you will be saved. He could have answered him clearly, um, but Jesus doesn't say that. What Jesus does is he can see into this man's heart and there are some deeper things going on in this young man. So he takes it in a different direction. And instead he says, oh, you want to talk about life? You want to talk about eternal life? You want to enter life? Keep the commandments, which is the answer that the Jewish people would have known. Just keep the commandments. But this man has follow-up questions. Look at verse 18. The young man said to him, which ones? Which, which ones? Which, by the way, is a really good follow-up question to Jesus' statement. And that's because the Jews, they counted all of the laws in the Old Testament. And the, in the Torah, in the, in the first five books of the Bible, there were 613 commandments. 613 rules. 613 laws. You are probably familiar with 10 of them. At least 10 of them. Right? We all kind of know 10 of them because we fight to keep them on monuments and in our schools. And, right? like that's, there's, there's big 10, but there were actually, those 10 actually filtered out into 613 commandments. So the, the guy is like, hey, keep the commandments, Jesus? Like, like all of them? All, all 613, is that what I must do to inherit eternal life? Well, again, verse 18, he said, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So what Jesus has just done is he has uh, listed five of the Ten Commandments, 
Five of those big 10, okay? Plus he tacked one more on. Uh, Love your neighbor as yourself is not actually in the 10 commandments. That comes from Leviticus 19. It does play into Jesus' ministry, but he names six commandments, six laws. and, And what we think, what we think as scholars and readers of the text is that Jewish people believe that really the 10 commandments kind of embodied the whole Torah. And most commentators don't think that Jesus is just saying, if you just cover those six, you'll have eternal life. What what most commentators think Jesus is doing is he's, he's recalling the Ten Commandments to a Jewish mind and essentially saying, hey, you gotta keep the whole law. You gotta keep the whole law. That's essentially what he is saying. But but verse 20 is really interesting. Verse 20. The young man said to him, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? All right, that's an interesting statement, right? The guy, we are finally told that he is a young guy in that verse. He's a young man, which probably means he's somewhere between 21 and 28 years old. That's, that's uh, uh, approximately the range, age range that that word in the Greek, young, refers to. So he's in his 20s. He's a 20-something. And he answers Jesus' six commands, his six laws, uh, by saying, hey, Jesus, I keep the commandments. I ain't killing anybody. Right? I'm not sleeping around. I'm not lying. I'm not stealing. I'm treating people well. I keep the commandments. And some are going to say to that, oh my, what, what kind of pride does this guy have? What hubris is within him? Obviously, he doesn't keep these commandments perfectly, which is probably true. He probably isn't keeping the commandments perfectly. But I think what we are supposed to do with this is give this young man the benefit of the doubt. I actually don't think we're supposed to question whether or not he does indeed think he's keeping the commandments pretty well uh, because Jesus gives us no indication that he disbelieves this man. He doesn't give us any indication that this man indeed is being nefarious in his answer. So the young man that we are going to know as the rich young man is actually rich in two ways. We'll see the second one in a few minutes, but but Jesus is trying to show him that he is invested in the wrong riches. So the first way that this guy is rich is that he has moral riches. He has moral riches, meaning he's trying to be good enough. He's rich in his morality. He's trying to be good enough, and that's what Jesus takes on first. He first takes on his morality. There are some riches that we use to try to earn God's favor, to try to earn God's approval, to try to earn, quote, eternal life. And and that's why this guy starts with moral riches. He's trying to be good enough. He's trying to be a good person. So like, like we already talked about, let's just assume that he actually is a pretty decent dude. Let's just assume that he is actually really good at keeping the commandments, all right? Just for, just for, for sake, the sake of this text, let's assume that. Because to that man's statement, all these I have kept. Jesus, all these I have kept. Jesus isn't like, no, you haven't. Are you serious? He doesn't respond like that. So let's just assume that if we knew this guy, this rich young man, if we knew him, we might say of him, man, that's a great guy, He's a really good guy. 
Man, he loves his friends and his family. He serves, he serves his community. He serves his church. He's generous. He's kind. He's full of integrity. I'm not, listen, I'm sure he's not perfect, all right? But that guy is pretty legit. He's certainly good enough. He's a good guy. And what's more, what's more, we don't even notice this, but he's humble enough to admit that there's something he's still lacking. He's got enough humility to come to Jesus and say, hey, I've, got, I've been doing these things. I've been keeping these commandments, but, but I lack something still. What do you think it is, Jesus? I mean, this is astounding in a young man to have that kind of humility built into him. But just note, in his question, there's still something gnawing deep down in his soul. There's still something that he just knows I'm missing. I'm lacking. I'm lacking something, but he doesn't know what it is. And hear me, that's the problem with moral riches. The problem with moral riches is you never know if you've been good enough. You just, you're trying to be good enough, but you never know if you've been good enough. So this young man goes to Jesus. Essentially, he's like, hey, look at how good I am. Look at how good I don't smoke. I don't drink. I don't cuss. I don't watch rated R movies, unless they're about you, okay? And I'll watch that one, but that's about it, right? Look at my moral wealth. Right? What am I still missing? What do I need to do to be good enough, Jesus. And his response is astounding. Jesus is going to show him that he is not lacking some small thing, but rather he shows him that he has missed the whole thing. You'll see it. Look at verse 21. Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go. Sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. So it's here in verse 21 that we find out the second way this young man is rich. Because he is rich morally. We've seen that. But now we find out that he is rich financially. He's doing all right. He's got a wad of cash in his pocket. He's not being hunted down by creditors. In fact, he's got money in the bank. That means that he has achieved. In his young life, he has been successful. And it's the second place where he has invested in the wrong riches. See, you can can invest in being good enough, but you can also try to do good enough. And there's a little bit of a difference here. Being good enough has to do with this internal moral compass that we have. And we try to, in effect, earn Jesus's pleasure and affections by our morality. But doing good enough, this is about success. However you want to define that. This is about achievement. This is about accolades. This is about performing. This is about accomplishing. This is about winning. In, in, hear me, in the very best ways possible. 
And it doesn't hit us so much today, but if you were to uh, read the Old Testament, specifically the Proverbs, you would walk away understanding that wealth in their mindset is a sign of divine blessing. His wealth was a sign of hard work and honest dealings and God's pleasure on him. So what the text is setting up for us is that this young man, this rich young man, he's not only moral, but he's also an outstanding worker. He works hard, he achieves well, and he earns wealth. So any religious leader of his day or our day would say something like, yeah, that's the kind of guy I'm looking for. That's the kind of church member I want. That's the kind of guy I want on my team. We, I'm, I'm saying, this is what I'm trying to tell you. We would love this guy. We'd love this dude, okay? He's got morals and abilities. He's morally full of integrity and he can kill it. Making money. Lock him in. We want him on our team. That's what we'd want. But Jesus does no such thing. Jesus challenges him. I mean, it's wild. It's it's astonishing. Jesus pushes on the two areas where this young man is rich, where he has invested himself. He pushes on where this young man is trying to be good enough, his morality, and he pushes on where he's trying to do good enough, his activities. And he pushes on both of those. Now, in our text, he centers on money, He talks about money. He says, go sell everything and give it to the poor. He talks about money because that was, money was this particular man's idol. It was his idol. But I'm just saying, it doesn't always have to look like this. It doesn't always have to be money. You can, I can try to do good enough in many ways. Try to achieve goodness in many ways. Here's how. Uh, You can point to how you parent. Man, I'm I'm a good mom. That's why I'm good. I'm a good dad. You can point to how you treat your spouse. Man, I'm a good husband. I'm a good wife. You can point to how hard you work. I'm I'm a hard worker. I've earned this. I've worked hard for this. I'm not slacking. I'm working. You can point to however successful you've been. You can point to your reputation and how others think of you. You can point to how much you've sacrificed. You can point to lots of different things as a way of earning God's favor through your doing good enough. Anything, I would say, anything that makes you feel secure and competent as you look towards the unknowns of the future, those are things that you can be rich in. Anything that makes you feel secure and competent as you look towards the unknowns of the future. It's what you rely on to know, am I good enough? Am I good enough? And for this young man, it was money. It was obviously money. Money was one of his core idols. It's how he knew he was doing good enough. He could look at the ledger and he knew And that's also because money is a form of power that can quickly replace our sense of need for God. It's a way that we can control, right? Money offers you control. Money promises you security. It tells you there's no tragedy tomorrow that that, that tomorrow can bring that you can't handle. 
Money does that, but hear me, reputation can do that. Your, your title can do that. Your vocation can do that. Many different things can do that. And all of those things can keep you from fully trusting in Jesus. So that's what Jesus does here. He, he pushes and he says to the man, hey, if you wanna be perfect, go sell what you possess and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. He, he, he's essentially saying, you wanna inherit eternal life? If you want eternal life, you gotta let go of your riches. You gotta let them go. Uh, your riches are keeping you from me. And he tackles both, his morality and his activity, being good enough and doing good enough because they are both, in essence, the young man trying to earn on his own. That's what I think is happening in this text. And that's where we then find the message of the gospel in this story. Because the message of the gospel is Jesus is enough. Jesus is actually enough. Jesus says, hey, give it all away and come follow me. That's what he says. Get rid of your riches and follow me. And this is Jesus actually pushing back at the young man's question. The question, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Remember the question? What do I have to do, Jesus? And his answer is stop. Stop investing in being good enough. Stop investing in doing good enough. Instead, follow me. Follow me. Trust in my goodness. Trust that I am the one who's enough. And listen, this is so applicable for us today. This is so applicable for us. All week I've been battling with this text because it's been reading, it's like I've been reading my mail all week. I feel like I'm the, the rich young man. This is so applicable for us today, church, because we just think we need to be a little better. I just need to get a little bit better. I need to do a little bit better. And then he's going to be pleased with me. And then he's going to be okay with me. Then he's going to love me. Once I get that under control, once I stop struggling with this, then I'll have it. But Jesus is absolutely blunt here. Get rid of your being and doing and come follow me. Come follow me. This is fundamental, okay? Fundamental theology for uh, Christianity. Here it is. Getting to God is not a matter of your goodness. This is fundamental. This is 101 and we miss it all too often. Listen, listen to me. Good people don't go to heaven. Good people don't go to heaven. There was one good person and he offers a way to heaven, but your goodness does not get you to heaven. Hear me, because nobody can be good. That's why Jesus says, why do you call me good? Why do you come to me asking about goodness? Nobody can be good enough. Nobody can do good enough. You can't earn this. What must I do? He's like, you just got to stop trying. You got to stop doing. You got to follow me. I mean, if anybody could have done it, it's this guy. Again, we're assuming that he's not so full of himself. We're assuming that he actually has a, a decent head on his shoulders. But, but Jesus essentially is testing him in what he says. 
He's testing him. He says, okay, you, you say you keep the commandments. You, you, you told me you keep the commandments. How about one of the ones I didn't mention? How about, one of the, uh, how about the first one? Let's just talk about the first one. The first commandment says, have no other gods before me. How are you doing on that one? This is why he says this. This is his test. Let's try that one out. Sell everything. Will you sell everything? Will you put yourself in a place where you have nothing and trust that I'm enough? Will you do that? See, what happens here is Jesus is showing us that being good, your morals, can actually be a God that you put before him. Is that wild? Being good can be an idol. Doing good can be a God that you put before the God of the universe. Doing good can be an idol. Anything you put before him is a false God. It's an idol. It's idolatry. And this guy, he thinks he's almost good enough. But Jesus has shown him, no one's good enough, man. No one keeps the commandments. No one. Nobody loves God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. Nobody loves their neighbor as themselves. No one is good. And listen, buddy, you know this. He's like, you know this. That's why you're coming to me asking about something that you still lack. But you got to let go of everything. Your morals and your money, your performance and your possessions. You're doing good and you're being good because neither of those are going to earn you eternal life. You have to surrender everything. And that's the only way. You have to surrender everything and it's the only way to get everything. Now, verse 22. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And this is why this is a tragic story. This is a tragedy. I think the hardest part of the story for me this week is seeing this young man walk away from Jesus. That's what he did. It's why I want to go back in time and yell at him. I just want to grab a hold of his shoulders, his 21-year-old shoulders, and shake him and just be like, hey, stop trusting in yourself. Get rid of all that other stuff. Do whatever it takes to invest in Jesus. Follow him. He's worth it. He's enough. What are you doing, man? What are you doing? But the text says that the rich young man went away sorrowful. That Greek word could be translated grieving. It's not just sadness. It's like a depth of pain and sorrow in his heart, but he walks away from the Messiah. He walked away. But that's not the end of the story. Because as the man walks away, Jesus says something to his disciples and the disciples are shocked. They're shocked. Look at 23. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, and, and when I say rich, keep in mind the dual nature of his riches. Only with difficulty will a rich man enter 
the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Verse 25, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? I mean, the disciples are like, wait a minute. If he's out, if he walked away, all of his moral goodness, all of his financial goodness, all of his achievements, all of his internal, you know, genuine uh, uh, integrity, all of this, if he walks away, who can be saved? Who in the world could be in if he's out? Verse 26. But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible but with God, all things are possible. So here's what we see here, church. We see in this story that following Jesus Christ is different. It's, it's different from any other kind of religion, religious way of life imaginable. It's so very different because every religion says you gotta be good. You gotta do good. This young man had built his life on good things. That's every single religion. He walked the straight and narrow path in his morality. He, he walked the straight and narrow path with his activity. And he thinks, I'm just lacking one thing. I'm going to go to this rabbi. I'm going to go to this Christ. I'm going to go to the Messiah. And Jesus reveals, bro, you've been on the wrong path the whole time. You've been on the wrong path. You can't be good enough to get on the path. You can't do good enough to earn your way onto this path. You've got to acknowledge that Jesus is enough, that I'm enough. And the only way onto that path is to then surrender it all. The only way is to surrender all of it. To, to follow Christ. To trust in his riches, not your own riches. And then that's why I had verses 27 through 30 read over us this morning. Look at them again. He's just said, Jesus has just said, with man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. 27, then Peter said in reply, see, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, in the new world, when the son of man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. That's what that passage means. The call of Jesus is to leave everything and that's only how you can inherit eternal life. To the man's question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, you gotta leave everything. You got to surrender all of it and follow me. 
Jim Elliott, the great uh, famous missionary martyr, uh, this is a famous quote of his, I'll put this up, says that he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Listen, your being good and your doing good, those are riches that you cannot keep. You can't keep them. But Jesus has an eternal inheritance, one which you can never lose. It can never be taken from you. And you can only get those true riches by surrendering and following him. It's never been about being good enough. It's never been about doing good enough. It's about following the only one who was good enough. Jesus doesn't want your morality. Jesus doesn't want your activity. He wants you to surrender all of it. He wants your surrender. And so here's how I know this, okay? Here's how I know this is true. There's a parallel passage in the gospel of Mark. Uh, You don't need to turn there. I'll put this up on the screen. But in Mark chapter 10, there's a very important verse that starts in verse 20. This is a parallel passage to this. Listen to this. The young man said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. That's him saying it again. Verse 21. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all you have and give to the poor and follow me. And I underlined that one detail that's in Mark's account that's not in Matthew's account because I think it's so important. That right there is the true riches. Jesus loved him. He looked at him and he loved him. He looked at him and he loved him. Jesus loved this young man. And that's why he's willing to tell him the hard truths. That's why he's willing to push on the core idols, on the riches, the places that he has invested. And I just want you to notice this week, it's, I mean, it's like slapped me in the heart this week, okay? The order in which this happens is so important. Jesus loved this guy And then he told him, sell everything and follow me. The order is so important. Jesus doesn't say, hey, here's what you need to do. Sell everything. Sell everything, give it to the poor, follow me. And then, then you'll have my love. No, he just looks at him and he loves him before he ever asks anything of him. That order is very important, church. Listen to me on this. Jesus never asks of you before he loves you. He asks of you after. Oh, yes, he does. He will ask you to give away everything. But it's not in order to earn his love. It's because he first loved you. And that's why this story is so tragic. That's why my heart hurt as I was thinking about this young man. Because that's what this guy is walking away from. He looked at him and he loved him. And the young man walks. He walks away. What do I need to do to have eternal life? Jesus says, you don't have to do anything. 
You don't have to be anything. I already love you. I already love you. I've always loved you. All of this being and doing in order to earn, all this earning, it's just pushing me further and further away from you. Surrender it. Surrender all of it. Let it all go. Sell everything. Invest in me because I love you. Oh, friends, don't you see that that, that we are the rich young man? Each one of us. So I'm an, I, I am an Enneagram three, okay? Some of you guys know the Enneagram, right? Some of you know what that is. Some of you think it's demonic, okay? What, whatever, uh, I'm a three. A three is sometimes called the performer or the achiever. And, and this is why I struggle with this. Because in my own journey, one of the reasons why this is such a wrestle for me is because I'm good at performing. Man, I perform. I achieve, I love to do, and I love to accomplish. I love checklists, I love to kill it. I just love to take things, I like to work. I like that stuff. I get great sense of, uh, of, of joy out of accomplishing things. But I think about myself this week and I'm thinking like, I wonder if God hears me and sees me doing that and it's like a child to a parent where he's just like, God, watch me. Hey, God, look at me. God, watch me. Are you watching me? Watch me, God. Aren't you proud of me? Hey, look what I can do. God, look what I can do. And it's far easier for me to believe that I'm useful than that I'm loved. It's far easier for me to believe that I'm good enough than to believe that he loves me when I'm not but he looked at him and he loved him. Hey, church, do you know that he loves you? He looks at you and he loves you. Some of you need to remember that this morning. Not because you earned it. Not because you've done something to deserve it. He just loves you. Others of you, missing. maybe you've heard this message before. You've heard Jesus loves you. You've seen it on billboards or something. Jesus loves you. And, and in the past, that's just been a, a trite religious message. But today, maybe it's making sense in a new way. He loves you. He wants you. He's looking at you and he loves you and he's calling you to surrender it all to him. And you have the option. This man had the option to to surrender everything or to walk away. You have that option too. And if you want to surrender to him, all you need to do is tell him with your mouth, pray to him in your heart and with your mouth, I need you, Jesus. I've, I've not been good enough. I never will be good enough. I need to trust in your goodness. I'll follow you. You pray those things from your heart and you will be saved. That's the investment in true riches. That's the gospel in this passage. He looked at him and he loved him. You give up nothing when you give up everything. With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Let's pray together, church. Father, this... 
This text has just been working on me all week. It's been working on me, Lord, because I felt like I was coming to preach a sermon on money. But I found that there's something much deeper going on here. There's something at the very root of who we are as fallen individuals that want to earn, that want to do, that want to rely on our goodness to somehow earn your favor. But what this, what this text shows us, Father, is that it's so upside down in your kingdom's economy. Before we ever do, before we're ever good, before we ever perform, you look at us and you love us. God, I need to know that more in my heart. For my friends who do believe in you, I think we need to re be reminded of that today. That we were loved first. And maybe for some, this might be the first day that they really understand that you love them. And maybe they're praying right now that prayer that they trust in you, that they receive you, that they aren't good enough and they need your goodness. And I pray, Holy Spirit, by the power of your hand and your, your whisper in their life that they are doing that even as we speak. Call men and women back to yourself, Lord, through this teaching from thousands of years ago. So God, as we respond to the text, I pray that we would respond from our hearts, surrendering things, letting go of things, and remembering that you love us. How deep the Father's love is for us. How vast beyond all measure that he would give his only son to make us wretches his treasure. We love you, Father. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Spirit and all God's people said. Amen.